0: All right, Mr. King, would you begin by telling us what films you recall seeing as a boy? Well, to be perfectly frank, I
1: I can't remember even seeing a film other than the Great American Train Robbery, which was a novelty out at Coney Island. My first experience around pictures came about rather accidentally. I was in New York and uh, re- waiting for rehearsals to start with the show.
0: Excuse me. You're on? i uh, got yeah, um.
1: Well, you can just run it backwards and wind that off, can't you?
0: It's not on the tape. It's, I've had trouble with it before. It's a playback, Tom, but the tapes are clean. Well, let's record if it doesn't bother you. You can just, oh, you want to go on or you want to run? Yeah, that's all right. Mm -hmm. Sure. You want to start again? All right, sir. Would you tell us, please, Mr. King, what films you recall seeing as a boy? Well at the moment i can't even recall seeing a
1: picture it seemed like at one time at coney island i saw a picture of the great american train robbery or something to that degree but i was not a particularly a motion picture fan at that time because pictures were more or less just a novelty however as time went on i was re- preparing for rehearsal with a show in new york and a friend of mine uh, was working in a picture for Ralph Ence at the old Vitagraph company, I believe it was called The Mills of the Gods, quite a Mm -hmm. title, and he asked me if I would like to go out and see how they make motion pictures, That it was a great coming industry, so uh, I went with him, and it was to be, uh, it was uh, the late Warner Richmond was the player, a friend of mine came from the same state with me, And I went out, and uh, Ralph Ince talked to me and wanted me to sit in a banker scene. So they uh, made me up for a Frenchman with a black mustache and a goatee beard. And uh, I sat around and uh, watched everyone work and nodded my head a couple of times. And at the end of the day, they gave me $5. Well, I thought that was very uh, easy and interesting, so I went back the next day and repeated this for about three days, and I had enough money to pay my room rent and not to worry about for that week. Then my rehearsal started, and I went on the road with the show, and I don't recall seeing a picture for the next year.
0: Then when did you finally get started uh, in the industry itself, sir? Well, I... Uh, this show, or uh, show that I was with at that time, we made a tour out to the
1: California the coast and back, and, uh... I went with a friend of mine over for an interview in New York. I was then under the Savage Management, and uh, this friend uh, was a great friend of uh, the late Pearl White, and uh, we all had dinner together, I believe, at the Bethaldi Inn, which many people that know New York will recall the Bethaldi Inn. I believe it stands on the same place where the Lowe State Theatre is now. And uh, this uh, friend of mine was interviewed. And uh, the producer didn't like her, but she uh, came out through the side door and he came with her and was going to give her, you know, the final word later. And she introduced him to me and he uh, got interested in me doing uh, a picture. And I said, well, I uh, don't photograph well. I have blue eyes. He said, oh, that was in the days of the infancy. Pictures have grown up now and... We photograph any colored eyes, and uh, so this went into uh, the fact that we made a, an appointment for a day later, and another one a day later, and it ended up that I closed, didn't, oh, didn't start rehearsing with the uh, show with the Savage, which was supposed to come up about two weeks, and I came to California instead, and we made a few quick westerns. We'd uh, start on Monday and finish on Saturday and uh, I wrote a few stories and I think I appeared in four or five uh, or six probably Lubin releases and we were on a projected trip, proposed trip, I mean to go around the world. We were going to be six months in Los Angeles and I believe four or five or six months in Honolulu and then we were going on as far as Australia and then back around through South Africa and uh, into Europe and we were going to uh, make a series of pictures in each place that we stopped, and we expected to be gone for two years. Well, when we uh, came to Los Angeles, we'd only been here a short time, when the uh, war rumors started uh, rumbling in Europe, and uh, that uh, put a stop to the uh, the -the round-the-world trip, and he uh, made permanent headquarters here, then uh, I left that company because I had a better offer to go elsewhere in the meantime I'd started writing and directing and directing a few sequences now and then and he wanted to make a director of me which I didn't want to direct and I went uh, from that to another company the uh, Balboa Pathé and uh, about my second picture I sat down and wrote a great masterpiece (laughs) and uh, they said if this is such a good story then you should direct it so uh, i directed it and uh, then they wanted me to direct again and i said no i don't like to direct and then lillian lorraine came out from new york he was the very famous folly's beauty and i had Lou Cody and lillian lorraine and walter lamp and uh, quite a cast and they wanted me to direct the picture so I uh, directed that and uh, then I did a series called Who Pays which I wrote the first one which was a story that happened when I was in school and it was based I mean upon an idea of a happening that happened when I was in school then uh, let me see I don't want to get my stories uh, twisted here but anyway I uh, I directed the first one of this series in other words I made the picture and from the picture they decided to make it into the series who pays Then, uh, then uh, a man mr. Harvey directed the series and I only appeared in it as an actor Harry Harvey and uh, then I uh, they insisted upon me directing and I believe at that time I was getting a hundred and seventy-five dollars a week as an actor and they said if i would continue to direct they would give me an additional 25 dollars a week so uh, i said no if i'm going to direct i'm going to direct and at that time i was directing producing writing and acting so all this in one and uh, then i left and went to the american film company and stayed there and of course the war came on i directed gail kane and which at that time was one of the big stars that we had in motion pictures and Douglas McLean I made several pictures there then I had a short time out during the war and uh, then I came back and directed uh, William Russell which many people will remember the very was they call the beloved William Russell an athletic actor did a lot of very good pictures and we were very successful together then I went with the late Thomas Ince and did 23 and a half hours leave, which was one of the big, uh, I suppose it was, it was considered the biggest hit that we'd had for a long time. In fact, I have been very fortunate. The uh, first picture that I directed was called Little Mary Sunshine, way back with the Balboa people, and it was the hit picture of the year. And uh, I had had another one with the American, uh, with Gail Cain, I've forgotten now the title of it, that was another big hit. So I had been very fortunate in that short period of time. And from 23 and a half hours leave I went over with Robertson Cole and directed Pauline Frederick and uh, made several pictures with her. Then I went to New York in 19 and 21 and helped organize a concern called Inspiration Pictures and uh, the first picture I did there was Talable David. And I think the record is rather clear from that time on. I went to Europe and made the White Sister and Romola, came back to New York and uh, where I had a home and left and came to California in 1926. And I have been in California practically ever since, except when I have been to different parts of the country. I've made pictures in Italy and in South Africa and South America and Mexico. In fact, I have made three pictures just recently in
0: Mexico. I wonder if you'd tell us a little about production conditions at the very beginning, Mr. King, and how they changed up into the 20s there. Well, well, at the beginning, back in 1415,
1: uh, the main ingredient for uh, making a motion picture was the film made by Eastman and uh, the camera. If you had if you had film and a camera, why uh, the balance was easy. The story was secondary. And uh, the actors were more or less important to a degree because out of this came a lot of personalities that went on for years and years and production uh, it became important oh I would say just about the end of the war of the World War one Griffith uh, he uh, Went to a great degree of getting a tremendous amount of detail, and I mean, in things like "Way Down East" and uh, "Orphans of the Storm," he went uh, uh, to—well, he went all out, you know, for for big productions. And I presume from Griffith, others learned that the production was important. I know when I uh, the, the few pictures that I made prior to 19 and 20. I uh, spent a great deal of time and patience in city settings and going on location. Many times I thought it was unnecessary, but it proved to be quite necessary. As when I, uh, when I, when the time came to do Tolerable David, we were naturally working on a short budget because we were having to put up the money. And uh, at least our bankers were putting up the money, but we were responsible for it. And uh, I went to Virginia, and there was a great debate about it. But uh, I did more in Virginia. I went to the original location where Joe Hergesheimer had written the story. I even used the house that he lived in uh, for the uh, while he was writing the story. I used it as the main location uh, that we used in the story. I mean, the home of the Kinnemans, which was the name that was played with that. Uh, Bartholomew was the son of the Kinneman family. And uh, from then on, I mean, I've always been rather a rather stickler for detail, and uh, in other words, the real thing to me always looks so much better than imitation. I've tried to sort of live up to that.
0: When did you first start to do your cutting, Mr. King, and on what principle did you proceed in assembling a picture?
1: Well, now you bring up something that is almost uh, responsible for my uh, getting really involved in the directing end, I was doing a picture with uh, a friend of mine was directing it That was when I was an actor and we had a fight scene and I had had a fight in practically every picture that I had ever been been in and uh, I said please let us do this fight a bit differently than we have been let's not make this just a slugging match and I remembered when I was a boy, about nine years old, in a small town in Virginia, where I saw two colored men at a railroad station in a fight. And I, this was a very important moment in my life. I mean, I, uh, this was one of the first tragedies, I think, that I had ever seen. And I remembered every detail of it. And I said, if we could only catch the effect of this on the screen and uh, he said well you write it down so i went out and i wrote the screenplay for that series of for that part of the story and i wrote it in detail in very big close-ups and close-ups of the hand and close-up of the eye and a close-up of the head i mean all the way through and i brought it back to him he says how in the world could you ever photograph this and i explained to him how it could be done so uh, he sat and watched and i directed it i directed and acted the uh, film went to the laboratory and the uh, cutting room came over and said what in the world are you going to do with all these funny little pieces of film and I said well if we get them together right I think it'll be effective and they said well no one on earth can put these together so I went over to the cutting room and I said take this piece here and you cut it right there and you put it to this one there and uh, I had a lot of cuts that were only about two, sometimes eight frames long, six, seven inches, and like that. And they immediately told me there was a ruling that no scene in a motion picture should be less than three feet. And I said, well, let's break the rule. In fact, I don't think it was well written anyway. So uh, I had many scenes that were six and eight frames, many scenes that were a foot, less than a foot, foot and a half, and I put the sequence together. And we took it in the projection room and ran it. And the cutter that I was working with, putting it together, got a much bigger thrill out of it than I did. I said, let us take it back. There are a couple of little changes I want to make. And the uh, cutter said, if we ever touch this, we'll ruin it. I said, we take it back. I said, we can always put it together again. We took it out, and I made a few little cuts to the degree of taking out two frames, three frames, and things of that thing to to make all of the blows hit. Then uh, I had had the director come over and look at it, and the management, they saw it, and uh, immediately they thought it was the greatest thing that had ever been done in the world and says, this has revolutionized the motion picture
0: industry. And uh, then, from then on, I was stuck with directing. What was your cranking speed in those days, Mr. King? At what oh, speed? Uh, what is? I forgot. No, 16, twenty. Was it?
1: Six, I guess. Sixteen, 16. I presume. I think that was the Uh
0: Were your scenarios very elaborate at that time, or were they mostly scribbles on the back of an envelope? Or? Well, no. You had generally th- three or
1: four sheets of paper for a screenplay, and when we were doing five reel pictures, my training, uh, when we uh, then uh, feature picture was five reels. And my training was that you had one scene written for one reel. Yes. If you had five scenes, where well, you had five reels, mm-hmm. and you had to improvise
0: everything other than the principal idea. Mm-hmm. When did you first start to pay particular attention to the lighting? Well, I, we,
1: I had a cameraman, a Frenchman, named George Rizard, and he was a photographer in New York, or had been a still photographer in New York, and he uh, made uh, some photographs of Fritz's chef and she was so enthused about it that he uh, became quite a character around New York, and he came out with the Pathé Company, and he was the first one that brought about, to me, the idea of lighting. Also, Billy Bitzer was very great on lighting with Griffith. I think Rizard was more in the lighting uh bitzer brought in the soft focus effect you know to make the gals look you know uh, so sweet and innocent and uh went into a little more bizarre lighting you know uh, highlighting
0: and to make hair look like hair and not wool uh how about camera movement in that time, do you recall any specific instances of unusual camera movement? Well, uh,
1: we moved the camera frequently and often. We uh, the panning, the panning then was done with a crank, and it was very difficult. But uh, we had even dollies back in the early days. I used dolly tracks oh, back in the early 20s and around in 1919. I had a long dolly track and like that. And then it seemed like it uh, sort of went out of fashion for a little while. Then when I went to uh, Italy on the White Sister, I did many dolly shots and moving shots and pamming shots and all those kind of things. And it was started way back in there. I always believed that the camera must do more than just uh, photograph. The camera must talk.
0: How would you prepare an actor for a scene in a silent film, Mr. King? What sort of thing would you say to them? How would you... Po- well, I will, uh, could only, uh, that
1: reminds me of an instant when Tyrone Power, the late Tyrone Power, the senior, the father of the present Tyrone Power, He was in a picture with me called Fury with Dick Bothamas, and uh, I would go to great lengths of rehearsing, and of course the director, you manufactured all the dialogue yourself as you went along, you know what the story was about, so you improvised all the dialogue of what the actor said, and what the business he did, and all that. So I had rehearsed endlessly on a very big scene that was taking place in quite a big room, And uh, when uh, it was a long scene, and Tyrone Power Sr., he uh, got in the middle of the scene, and he had forgotten what he had to say. And he turned his head around away from the camera and out of the side of his mouth. He said, throw me the line, throw me the line. And I sat there and watched him. And he came around near again. And he said, throw me the line, throw me the line. When uh, the scene was over, I said, cut. And uh, I said, you know, uh, Mr. Power, that is the finest piece of acting I've ever seen in my life. I said, this is a (laughs) great scene. He says, well, it would have been a great deal better if you'd have only thrown me the lion. I said, that's what I'm talking about. I said, the scene that we played for the camera, I said, was awful. I said, it was terrible. But I said, the sincere part was when you looked at me and said, throw me the lion. I said, you meant it. I said, you actually meant it. I said, that was the best piece of acting I've ever seen in my life because it was sincerity itself. <laughs> he said, do you do you really mean that? I said, I certainly do. He said, you know, Henry, I'm going to like pictures. I didn't think anything got over in
0: pictures. I'm going to like pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us uh, a few instances of... Uh interesting occurrences during the uh, filming of White Sister and Romola in Italy. Anything go wrong? No, uh, no, everything
1: went uh, exceptionally well. Uh, Of course, we were uh, just babes in the wood. I uh, bought the story. I had played in the White Sister in Summer Stock, and I always liked the play very much. And uh, I read the book, and uh, I wanted it, the vehicle for Lillian Gish and it was based upon that that we were able to get Lillian Gish to go over and do it. And in this I uh, discovered Ronald Coleman, who was uh, playing in a play called "The Tendress for Henry Miller with Ruth Chatterton in New York. In fact they were both in the play. And he left the play and went over with us. I had never been in Italy before and so I took the entire company with me and landed on a boat in the Bay of Naples and on a train, and went to Rome, as though that I was going to start shooting the following morning. And but I had a little leeway. I looked around for a few days, and this was in December. And strange as it may seem, I uh, started working on location at the uh, Palazzo Albani, and worked twenty-four consecutive days in the sunshine, out of doors, in January and uh, then i in the meantime i had learned to like rome very much i became acquainted with the dr stamme that had a stamme studio i had gone through that a number of times they had no lighting facilities i bought from the streetcar company at civita a generator and installed the generator wired the studio and we still completed the entire picture on schedule And returned to New York. Hmm. This was the uh, the white system? That was the white system, yes. So there were, uh, we worked at Naples, we worked up at Vesuvius, I was almost lost in Vesuvius. I uh, went down just a few feet farther than anyone else had gone, and uh, it was just fortunate that the ashes didn't cave in with me, and uh, (laughs) I came back, but where ignorance (laughs) is bliss, why, you know the answer. And we had a big setup on the side of Vesuvius. I worked down on the Amalfi Drive. We uh, worked in the Villa Borghese Gardens and uh, we worked out in the, in the streets of Rome. We went about it as though we had been born there and they were very cooperative. And uh, I really uh, put the first studio
0: with DC Current in
1: operation in Rome.
0: Wasn't the White Sister noticeably more successful financially than Romola? Or do you suppose this was? Well, it cost much less. Mm -hmm. And uh, I
1: think that a a modern story, which it was practically modern, and a very deep emotional love story is always very popular with the public. And Romola was a historical drama. Sometimes they uh, go well, sometimes they do not. Uh, Romola was reasonably successful but we spent more money on it than we should have.
0: When sound came in, Mr. King, were there there amusing uh, problems to overcome? Well,
1: I think the, uh, probably we'll say the most difficult problems to overcome were the people. Everyone thought that sound was a great mystery, and there was no mystery to sound. Uh, Everyone wanted it to sound like something that it was not. You would uh, go into a room and a sound engineer would come in and he would look around the room and he'd pack his hands like that to find if there were any echoes. Well, we worked for about two years killing all the echoes
0: before we found out that that's what we should have. For resonance. That's right. Did you have to conceal your microphone in various uh, ingenious places at first? We have had microphones in every conceivable
1: receptacle and every kind of a piece of furniture in every flower bush and he many times put a bouquet in a, in a set merely to hide the microphone in it mm-hmm. until finally someone invented the uh, microphone
0: boom that was it around over their heads. Which, would you, which silent films, Mr. King, would you list as your best, as your finest works? Well, I would say Tollible David and the White Sister. Yes. And of the sound period, which ones would you name? Well,
1: there was a picture very dear to my heart that I made many years ago called State Fair with the late Will Rogers. That and the Song of Bernadette were two of the pictures that I was, you know, just I just loved every minute of the pictures and all the time that I was working on them. And uh, I always like, uh, of course, making motion pictures is my hobby. Fortunately, the studio, they pay me for my hobby, or probably I wouldn't be able to go on. But uh, I make motion pictures purely as a hobby because I like to make motion pictures. Would you speak a little about working with Will Rogers? Well, Will Rogers was, as we all know, he was the most beloved man and one of the great human beings in the world, and I suppose that my experience was no different than anyone else's. Everyone adored the man. He had a great mind, and I remember so well when I was doing State Fair, we were working out at Corona. And uh, Janet Gaynor came to me and she said, Mr. King, isn't this wonderful? just to sit here and have Will Rogers read his column to us before it's ever in the newspapers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, would you speak uh, briefly about, or at length, if you will, about making the Song of of Bernadette? Well, the Song of Bernadette was a book that
1: came about, and I had just gone into the service in World War II, and I left with that assignment. And uh, I was flying Coast Patrol down through the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, the book was handed to me, and I had read a synopsis of it. But I read most of the book sitting in the cockpit on the airbase between missions. And I would read four or five chapters of that, and then I would hear the loudspeaker uh, call me, and I would get out, run into opera, fold up the book, put it under the seat of the airplane, uh, go into operations, sign for my May West and all your flotation gear, and take off. And when I would come back, sometimes the missions would go on, maybe last for an hour and a half, sometimes it would be for three and a half hours. And when you were doing convoys down through the uh, Gulf, why uh, I would go always far down as Merida and Yucatan and uh, and Veracruz, uh, and sometimes I'd be gone for three days. But I uh, always carried the book with me, and... Uh, when I had finished reading this and I, my tour of duty, when it came to an end, I uh, got an, a leaf of absence to uh, come to uh, come home. and uh, then I made arrangements to do the picture. I did the picture and then to go, went back and returned back to in the service, and uh, did another tour of duty, and uh, came back and did Wilson. But uh, with the uh, Song of Bernadette, while I was away, they had made a lot of tests of maybe maybe 15 or 20 people in New York and here at the studio. And uh, the the, the number of people, and I came back. uh, When I came here, I had had promised that I would make tests, and uh, I made all of these tests. There must have been uh, 30 or 40 tests made for the girl. There was, uh, Mr. Joe Skank told me that there was a young lady that he had seen a test of, it was just a short test of a newcomer that had never done anything, that Dave Selznick had made, and asked me if I would look at that, and I did, and I was very much intrigued with it, and I asked to make a test of of the girl. And uh, I made one test of her, and she had never been in a picture. And she'd had some stage experience, but uh, very, very alert and uh, I had a sort of a sympathetic feeling for her as Bernadette. And then as I was making other tests of the other players, especially of the priest, I would always call this young lady and ask her if she would like to work opposite the priest. So anyway, I had about 10 or 12 tests of her, and she'd practically almost played the part. She'd played a scene with almost every player that was going to be in the picture. And Bill Perberg was the producer, and one day I put all of the tests together, and I think I had about eight reels. And I ran all of them and I came over and I called Bill on the phone and I said, Bill, I have all of the tests together. There are seven or eight reels of them. I wish you would look at them. And he said, why? I said, I want to see them immediately because I'm afraid we're going to make a mistake. And he said, why? I said, unless we sign Jennifer Jones, we're going to make an awful mistake. I said, some Broadway actress is going to come along, and for her name's sake, we're going to put them in this and ruin the picture. I feel now the more, as comparing her with all the other tests that I've made, she she is the part. He said, do you really feel that way? And I said, yes, but will you please go over and see all of this film? And he said, "Of course, of course, of course, I will." Five minutes later, Dave Selter called me on the phone and he says, "Henry, I'm so thankful that you are going to you that you have faith enough in Jennifer to use her for bernadette so that was the biggest uh thrill I mean that I had in Bernadette but putting this girl in it being an absolute newcomer, and the difference that I felt about her in uh, her performance was that when she looked." At the operation of the Blessed Virgin she didn't just look she saw it it was there she saw it others looked
0: but she saw it in checking through your credits mr. King I noticed that in picture after picture recently you've worked with Leon Shamroy would you speak a little about the man and his work
1: well the only thing you can say about Shamroy is the best Uh, Shamroy has done, I think, 13, I think the present picture that we're completing is a 13th picture that we've done together. Uh, He started with me back in, uh, with Alice Fay in little old New York, and he has been all over the world with me practically. We were almost a year in Italy, and uh, he is, he is just a great artist and a very great man and uh, not only is he, I'm rather devoted to the man as a personal friend, which I think all came about by we being able to work so well together. And uh, it's maybe sort of an admiration society. I think he likes what I do, I like what he does, and we put it together, and so far we've always
0: had results. How did it happen that you hitched up again with John Seitz after working with him in the early period when you made American films, and then again, was it in the early 30s, was it? Now? Well,
1: in, uh, John Seitz came to me when I was uh, doing a picture with Janet Gaynor called Millie Mary Ann. He also did uh, Over the Hill, and uh, he had uh, I, he'd been with some other company, I've forgotten what, and he came with Fox. And he was one of the best-known uh, cameramen at that time. And uh, John Seitz was one of the very fine, I think he's retired now.
0: No, he just finished a picture uh, oh, last week. Oh, did he? Did
1: he? But someone told me that he'd retired. He's made 19 pictures of Alan Ladd. He has, really? Well, I'm <laughs> more power to him, more power <laughs> to him. As, uh, someone told me the other day that John had bought a ranch or something. I said, I, he's the last man on earth I could ever imagine on a ranch. <laughs> No, he's
0: not retired. Yeah. Uh, you recall working with, uh, with uh, Roy Overball in a
1: series? Yes, I and uh, Roy Overball came with me on a picture called the, the Bond Boy. This was one of the pictures I did with inspiration. And uh, In New York, we went down to Virginia. And then I liked him so well that we, he stayed on. He came in on sort of probation. I had had Henry Kronjager up until that time, and uh, uh, Roy Overbaugh came with me th- there. He did that, and he did Fury. Then, when I uh, when I went to Europe, I took him over for the White Sister, and also took him back to do Romola. And uh, Romola was the uh, the first picture that was ever photographed all in Eastman's panchromatic stock.
0: Uh, when you made uh, remade way down east, Mr. King, in 1935, did you take another look at the Griffith or not?
1: Yes, I uh, I dug the picture out and and looked at it, but of course the print was very much scratched and all and. Uh, Uh, the technique and all had changed Griffith had gone up on the Connecticut River when it was 20 below zero and had real ice floating down and uh, and Lillian Gish's eyebrows I mean her eyelashes froze together till she couldn't open her eyes and uh, (laughs) we couldn't reproduce (laughs) that (laughs) you cannot (laughs) reproduce things like that (laughs) I must say that our way down east
0: fell far short fell far short of his way down east in the earlier days mr. King uh, when Griffith was still a great director did you see his pictures as they came out and did you study the work of other directors then too Uh,
1: well I can't say that I ever studied the work of the directors I always felt that if you could if you could see direction it's bad yeah, I always feel that a director is uh, not just directing. If you if you see his effort, why, it's completely bad. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, when you asked me a moment ago, one of the first pictures that I ever saw, the one that uh, was more firmly in my mind was the Battle of Elderberry Gursh, Gulch with the Maymarsh and... Uh, Bobby Herron and I don't know all, well, of, all of the old, yes, and Lillian Gish. We, I we have a print of that at Eastman House. Mr. You have? Yes, we do. <laughs> well, you know, while you're talking about directing, you know, I would just uh, like to say one word about Eastman House. If it hadn't been for Eastman and the contribution that George Eastman has made to the motion picture industry, I'm afraid it never would have been where it is today.
0: What do you recall specifically about the uh, battle at Elderbush Gulch? I'm interested in your name in that particular it, It's
1: film. Elderberry Gulch. Uh, it had such wonderful continuity and the people uh, seemed like they were projected by their own imagination and were meeting a situation as the situation uh, came on it was a battle of course naturally and i can't go into the detail of it but it was believable i believed it i saw it believed it and enjoyed it and i said well pictures are, are going to be something you can tell stories it's a
0: great medium of telling stories Is there anything else that you'd like to add on this tape, Mr. King, that I have uh, missed here? Well, uh, no, I think that uh,
1: <laughs> I have talked about enough. I've uh, said about the, some of the highlights, or of of the many things when they come up individually. I mean... Uh, I uh, had an experience in Hong Kong that was uh, on the Love is a Many Splendid thing again with Jennifer Jones that uh, was very exciting and uh, I liked uh, very much I mean I liked the story and uh, I liked the uh, idea of doing it in Hong Kong because it was a story about Hong Kong yeah. and uh, I'm a great believer in the fact that with the wide screen being here that we now are forced to make the world our stage and that we must go to the location easier than you can bring the location, uh, you know, to the studio. Uh, That you take the processing of uh, rear projection and all is a very wonderful thing. It served its purpose in the past, but uh, it's very limited to what you can use it for now. But uh, pictures will go on. We will have many mediums if we, uh, if Eastman uh, Kodak Company uh, continue on as they have in giving us better film and better color, and so that we can uh, go into wide screens, I think we will continue to tell better stories, tell them in a better way, and uh, contribute more to
0: the thinking of mankind. Thank you so very much, Mr. King, for giving so generously of your time to making this excellent tape. Well, I don't know if it's excellent.